Welcome to the Minivate Gang Podcast, episode 139. I'm Steve Borsch, and I am on with Tim Elliott. Hey, good morning. And Graham Thickens. I am so rare to go. And our buddy Phil is off this week. Um, he uh, got a new shipment of Munsingware underwear in, so he's he's putting that away in his drawers. So <laughs> his drawers and his drawers. Um, so how are you guys doing this week? Good. Awesome. You know, it's amazing that we um, we commiserate often by email and and connecting up, but we don't we don't talk a lot. <laughs> you know, of course, most people aren't doing voice, right? They're they're using their smartphones to text and and um, you know, I often wondered why my daughter would text instead of calling uh, all the time. And and I was talking to she and five of her girlfriends at a caribou once, and uh, and asked them point blank why why do you guys text instead of talk? And, and they, you know, they all said, well, it's more efficient because if I have to ask you a question and get an answer, I don't want to spend five minutes talking to you. So yep. that was pretty yep. amazing. But And you can talk to multiple people at the same time too. There's that. There's that. Oh yeah. Group, group, group messaging. me. Yeah. Well, yep. that new group me app. Yeah. We've been, or I've been trying it anyway. Tim, you and I yeah. no, interacted it works good. with it. I, I like it. Yeah, it's and and I like the you know the fact that it works on multiple devices. But uh, speaking of which, next Tuesday is the big iPhone event. Yeah, and um, you know, new iPhones on the way. So you yeah. got a guy who's going to upgrade. Oh, you better yeah, absolutely believe it. <laughs> oh, really? So, Graham, oh, Graham, you 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 didn't upgrade to the four, right? No, you're still. Well, on I held three. off. I've been limping yeah. along with a three. You know. Yeah. So I am so ready. Well, didn't you break a phone or lose a phone? Or I, yeah, I had one yeah. stolen, a three GS. Yeah, and then Robert Stevens, bless his heart, let me have uh, one of his old three Gs. So I've been limping along with that. No, oh, that's which great. works okay, except it runs really slow on the latest iOS. Well, so, an iOS five is going to be. Um, it's going to need blowing. some resources. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I don't think they're going to probably cut off the three G too. I oh, think, yeah, I think yeah. They would. there's yeah, no backward to. compatibility to the 3G, but right. there is to 3GS. Right, right. Well, it is hotly anticipated. You know, there's 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 all kinds of buzz that it's going to be a 4S and not a 5, and, um, you know, because they're having some supply issues with the display. But, who, I mean, who the buzz knows? I think it's going to be both. Uh, some of the latest thinking I saw this morning points that way. Yeah. But, you know, it's all speculation, let's face it. It is. It is. But, but you know what but, I find interesting is is I had two different conversations with uh, mobile app developers, one guy out in California, one guy here, and, and um, it's just interesting to listen to people talk about what happens when there's a big jump in speed. Uh, you know, when somebody gets a new phone, one of the first habits that they that they leverage is they get more apps. They buy more apps and they download more free apps and um, and because they're having a better experience and stuff's launching faster. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if this kickstarts, um, even more sales for, and development opportunities for our local developers. Oh yeah. Well, and the most exciting thing is the Twitter integration into iOS five. That's just, that's going to be blockbuster, I think going forward. And, uh, it's got to have Facebook wondering. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why would they pick Twitter, though? It seems odd to me. Well, I mean, uh, fa- Facebook would have been would have been a more obvious choice. Yeah, but they tried to tie up with them, and Facebook, you know, played hard to get with them, and essentially Ping bombed because of that. 
So, you know, yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, they went with, uh, you know, another player and it's going to, it's going to mean big things for Twitter. There was a good piece in fast company that I tweeted a little earlier, how it's, uh, how it's especially going to be a good thing for Twitter advertising and for how brands will, uh, uh, be able to use the new, uh, integrated platform. I'll really? put that, okay. I'll put that link in the show notes. Well, that'd be great. Well, you know, there, the, um, um, you know, patents as a as an offense and a defense is continuing to uh, to accelerate. You know, Microsoft this week uh, shored up Samsung and HTC with their Android pat- patents, and um, according to Goldman Sachs, Microsoft's getting between three and six dollars per Android device sold. Um, and um, you know, even though it's nickels and dimes for revenue. You know what sorts of things do does this do to? I mean, does it just put more fear, uncertainty, and doubt into the market? What do you think, Tim? Well, uh, the the problem Microsoft has is that they charge licensing fees for their Windows uh, phone operating system to to people like Samsung, who who are a you know a partner, right? Um, and you know, Android is freely given away by Google, so e- even the you know officially blessed version where you get all the apps and stuff, stuff, the official Google apps. Um, and so what, what Microsoft is trying to do is use uh, their patents and such to, to get something out of um, Android, you know, producers. So, you know, it makes Android not free. And I, and I think that that is just to try to level the playing field so that people will continue to build Windows phones. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise, otherwise, I mean, Windows Phone is an interesting operating system, but otherwise, it's you know, I, I think between iOS and Android, we've we kind of have the big two, and there's going to be some specialty folks, like perhaps RIM, but maybe that that's yeah. about it, you know. And Windows Phone is sort of out there, so so it's their way to try to get back in the game, and it may work for them. Huh? 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 Well, well and, and then there's Amazon might buy WebOS. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. A, that was a weird story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that thing's being shopped around, though, you know, there's no no doubt, and and it uh, it probably isn't going to be Google buying it. So yeah, yeah. It, well, it seems likely that Amazon could be a potential buyer. Well, what, what's interesting though is Amazon has built this ecosystem uh, and their own uh, uh, Android app store. And, yep. you know, that's, that's so that their Kindle Fire and, and follow-on devices, um, you know, will have this, this uh, in, you know, this kind of all the apps and everything that you need, this ecosystem, right? right. But it, totally independent from Google. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would really be surprised if they bought WebOS. It would be great. But if they bought WebOS to replace Android with at some point in the future... Well, that would be the conjecture that they would replace it. I mean, why would they have two? You know, it, right, yeah. right. But and why would they have? Why wide. would they have? Why yeah. would they abandon what they built with their app store? Right, right. Which what makes I, the Kindle Fire very attractive, I think. Yeah, it's, it a, does, end, it's an end-to-end solution. Which was another big announcement this week was the uh, the Kindle Fire, the seven-inch uh, Android-based but totally reskinned um, new tablet product from Amazon. Well, you know, it was interesting, you know, that the Amazon did the uh, 
I, I was really interested in the fact that they'd done this Silk browser, which is based on WebKit, which sits on top of Safari. You know, Safari sits on WebKit and Chrome and most of the uh, uh, apps, both in, um, any, I think anything that uses a web browser in the app on either Android or iPhone or iOS is based on WebKit. I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds right. Okay. Well, but anyway, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading the thing and reading all the, uh, the different aspects about the Fire and the Silk browser, and then there was a link on TechMeme to a personal blog post by Chris Espinoza, who started with Apple um, with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak in the garage when he was a kid. And he was employee number eight, and he's still there. And he's in some engineering group. But uh, he blogged about the troubling nature of the Kindle Fire Silk web browser and the security implications. And basically what he said was, you know, that basically if you make a web request, that Amazon runs the web request through their EC2, their Elastic Computing Cloud back end, to -hmm. pre-cache the browsing and then send you a a lightweight Fire-based browser content. So you only have to download one simple stream. But then he said oh my God, everybody's talking about Facebook timeline and how bad that is and about all the Google um, uh, analysis of all the things you're doing, and yet here is this end run around Google because everything requested, Amazon's going to have unbelievable analytics and view into user behavior and everything they're doing. And uh, do you guys see this as a, as a potentially a, a big privacy issue? Yeah, I think they could come under fire. Yeah, I think it's it's been it's been called out by a lot of people. You know, yeah, I I don't think so actually. I, I really? think that that because the user has the ability to turn turn it off if they want, mm. um, that if you're worried about privacy, you just turn it off and then you operate your your browser in normal mode, and then it's just like an iPad. Um, I think that that. This is a brilliant move by Amazon that only they can do. I mean, I don't think yep. that, that Google could even do this. And it's because there's so many websites built on Amazon infrastructure right. that it just makes sense that they can, in the same, quote, the same data center, I know they have multiple data centers, but in the same infrastructure, infrastructure, yeah. 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 They, they can you know, send out the data to, to users. So it makes a whole lot of sense. And I, and I think what they're going to, to, to really find is that people will buy more stuff on Amazon.com via the Silk browser than data mining other sites. Which because, is the whole objective of this move. Oh, right. absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, why absolutely. they're selling this thing. They're selling this thing at a loss, I'm sure. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or what it costs them to make. Break right. even, yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, yeah. Well, I think the key will be how how obvious will they make it for consumers to opt out of the, you know, of of sharing all their data. Uh, that they'll, I'm sure they'll be pressured to do that. You know, just like it seems like Facebook is has become more and more uh, uh, obvious in the ways that they they allow you to opt out of stuff you know, mm-hmm. or tell you that, you know, you can make these settings so you, you know, you aren't sharing things that you don't want to be sharing. Well, you know what I keep thinking about? So, so as, as I understand 
more and more about the, about the, the level of analytics that can occur. So, for example, I, I now use a separate browser instance for Facebook because I don't yeah. want them tracking everything I'm doing in my browser, and I do that often with, with different stuff. But the thing that haunts me <laughs> is from um, the year 2000, and, and in an interview, Scott McNeely, who was the CEO of Sun Microsystems at the time, said, privacy is dead, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, that you, yep. you, know, you have get zero privacy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just get over it. That, that yeah. you, you, you have zero privacy anyway. So it's just like, hello. So, um, uh, you know, are we just so hyper aware of what's going on? And yet, at the same time, knowing what's happening with facial recognition and all the cameras that are being put around and and so on and so forth. And now, because of all the stuff that I've done online, virtually every app can locate exactly where I am. I mean, it'll do a location-based dot that is yep. not only in my cul-de-sac, it's where my frickin' house is. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. oh my God. And it's yep. because I've triangulated my location. So, so I'll pull up some arbitrary app that I've never used before and uh, do a location-based, and oh my God, there I am. So yeah, I'm, in, I'm in some database somewhere. Don't use the FBI app, Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Oh, my God. Well, um, you know, th- this is, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, like Phil always teases me about my segues, but how do, how do we do a segue into our guest today? Hmm. Um, good well, guy. A, we, yeah. first met him, we first met him when he was doing uh, mini webcon at the uh, University of Minnesota. The, the web conference, mm-hmm. and but he now works for Capella Education, mm-hmm. a and, private university. Yeah, so tell us about Chris. Well, Chris is a is a fascinating guy. He's a designer and and educator and writer, and he's even he's even got books now, I believe. But huh. he, um, uh, you know, started out in uh, in in a, in his undergraduate work at a, at a well known Minnesota institution, St. Olaf University, and uh, and uh, studied uh, liberal arts there, and. Uh, uh, and but decided he loved design and ended up getting a uh, doing his master's at the university and settling in there and becoming uh, an educator and and uh, head of uh, their uh, yeah I don't know how he would describe it their design uh, program and and I think he put in about eight eight years uh, at at the U if I'm correct oh. and uh, a new challenge came along and. Uh, by golly, now he's uh, now he's at Capella as their uh, what does he call himself? Their mobile product manager, I think. Product right? manager, yeah, which is an interesting title for a university. Well, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to ask him about this because he's speaking at the MEMA summit. Yes, and, and we'll 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 talk about what his title of his of his talk is and how this dovetails into what he's doing. So I'll just let me, let me call him here, sure, and we'll bring him on and um um. And we've we've talked to him before with respect to uh, mini webcon. Mini webcon. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Good morning, Steve Borsch. Hey, Steve. How are you? And I'm on with Graham and Tim this morning. Sounds good. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. Great. Thanks for joining us. So we were just talking about your background, and and um, uh, you have uh, really got, you've got a really fascinating. Uh, background in, in, in the stuff that you're 
you've been interested in with respect to architecture and graphic design, typography, and all of that. And and now you're a mobile product manager at Capella, and we were also looking at your upcoming talk at the MEMA Summit, Learning from Luther, Mastering the Second Mobile Revolution. And... um, uh, man, it's it's it. That, that's really your focus now, isn't it? Is is mobile and and really the implications of it? Well, yeah, I've just really gotten excited by mobile over the past couple of years. But um, yeah, as my talk at MEMA uh, suggests, with the title, I've I, I have kind of had a broad approach over the years. Um, you know, you mentioned my interest in architecture and things like that going way back, and I've I've always kind of uh, remained a liberal arts person from. Ever since uh, college, really, and uh, you know, my my background isn't computer science or anything. I, I studied German and art history and things like that, and and eventually got into web over time. But I think that's actually pretty common. I, I've met a lot of people with that kind of background. But at any rate, I continue to take a broad approach as I think about design and mobile, and I I like tying things together, and I like looking at context in particular with mobile because we. We get excited about a lot of the development as new technology, but I think a lot of it is just re-examining issues that we've probably dealt with for a long time. So that kind of intrigues me. And so what's your role right now at, I mean, it's mobile product manager, but our, um, and I I have to plead ignorance on on what Capella has in the mobile space. Um, uh, But I mean, obviously you're probably looking at any mobile device and how to deliver Capella uh, experiences and, and, and courses and so forth on, on those devices. Yeah, well, it's, um, I feel like I jumped right into what I consider to be the wild west of mobile where, uh, (laughs) and what I mean by that is that, you know, we're, we're wrestling with the full range of what you can do. We're trying to do our best, uh, by designing platform specific solutions for iPhone and Android but we're also embracing uh, mobile web, and and we're really doing it somewhat experimentally in that we're we're doing our best with all, and we're seeing how our learners and our staff and our faculty react. Because obviously, over time, if we if one platform looks dominant um, or more cost effective, or you know, for various reasons, we may tailor our our strategy over time. I mean, Capella, one of the things that attracted me to Capella is that they're very uh, innovative. They they change course relatively quickly for a company of its size. You know, they, they still almost consider themselves a bit of a startup mm-hmm. in the education space. Um, uh, as one person here characterized it, although I can't remember who, but they, they consider themselves a, a tech startup who happens to be in the, the education and university business. So, I, I like all that because I and I th- it seemed to fit my interest because I I have a dual interest in both uh, embracing Apple technologies in particular, but but I also see you know some of the risks there, and so I, I still embrace mobile web just as much. So is it just is it just the one app that you've got now, the Capella Mobile? Yeah, well, the public facing. Well, actually, we have two right now. Um, we have a an iPhone and an Android and a mobile version of our of our course room. And that that um, although anyone could install the iPhone ex- version, for example, uh, you can't get very far because it does require authentication. So uh-huh. those those are our more robust um, options right now, and they do um, allow 
learners to keep up with with uh, their online discussions by reading uh, recent posts in a, in a discussion forum, for example. Uh, we're going to be releasing some updates um, to these solutions actually really soon uh, that are going to increase what they can do. Uh, and then on the website, in addition to our uh, supporting uh, student um, engagement with their course uh, via mobile web. Um, we have a new mobile visitor center is what we call it internally, which is really just a, a jQuery version um, of the main capella.edu site. So if you, if you visit capella.edu on a mobile device, you're going to get forwarded to a mobile site mm -hmm. that is really mm -hmm. just an early version of trying to see how we can support um, our prospective student um, experience and get people interested in Capella on mobile devices as well. And that was launched this summer because it was tied to an ad campaign that went live in August. Huh, just recently. Speaking of that, uh, Chris, give us an idea of what kind of students Capella targets and, and the scope of Capella. You know, how big is this thing? Yeah, well, um, it, it, my understanding of Capella is that they were a very early entry into um, higher education online. Um, I think they're, they kind of consider themselves pioneers, so they've been doing it a long time. They do it really well. That was one of the reasons why I was comfortable coming here from the University of Minnesota. Um, and as far as the student profile, um, I took a sample course myself. Um, at the end of the summer to get the full experience and understand how it impacts my projects. And from my classmates, for example, I had uh, students who were, let's say, in their 40s or 50s or older who tried to do a college degree years ago, never finished, want to finish, but their life impedes them from being able to do it on a bricks and mortar campus. So online education works really well for them. There were also younger students who were kind of in a similar boat where they might have started more traditionally, but were already working, wanted to wrap up a degree. Um, we do also have students who are working full time, very engaged professionals and might be in, let's say, an MBA program where, again, they just want to try an online option and, and don't want to commute to to campus uh, somewhere else in a in a physical setting. So. It's a real blend, but but I would have to say that what they really try to do is target people who are either trying to finish a degree or trying to do a degree in a non-traditional setting. Um, I don't think Capella tries to compete really head-on with, with someone like the U of M very much because um, they don't try to offer, let's say, a full range of undergraduate options. And um, they, you know, I think a lot of people here would actually say that, that that's not what they're trying to do. You know, the, the U and traditional liberal arts colleges are good at what they do, and Capella is trying to fit a, fill a niche where people are either trying to finish degrees or, or even just not even do complete degrees and just take a few courses here and there, or else, you know, again, maybe meet the busy adult uh, adults' needs who uh, maybe want to try to get that MBA or, or graduate degree under their Great. belt but, but don't want to go to a campus to do it. Well, one of the things I'm wondering about is I'm looking at the mobile FAQ here, the online, excuse me, the online learning FAQ on the Capella site. Yeah. And it says, can I do my homework on a tablet like an iPad or Zoom? And that, you, yes, you can use it for some aspects like reading eBooks or browsing online articles and participating in discussions. However, some aspects of your courses, such as multimedia presentations and submitting assignments can't be done on a tablet, blah, blah, blah. 
And and one of the things that I've really been interested in is my my high school son's taking courses at Normandale and my daughter's at the U of M finishing up and um they they have to use computers. They they can't use like my daughter was trying to use an iPad and it just there were just some stuff like like um, assignment submissions things like that that she couldn't do. There were some videos that were delivered in Flash. Of course that doesn't play on the iPad and uh, and and so when you're looking at um, what Capella offers, and, and I can see some some things being atypical. Like if you're in IT or you're you know you're doing computer-based courses, of course, then you're going to need Windows or Parallels on the Mac to run Windows or whatever. So that that put that aside. But for general courses and your direction with mobile, are you guys looking at? Um, sort of materially changing the the delivery toward say HTML5 so that you can deliver everything through um, um, sort of standard means that will be playable on any device? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And to kind of follow up on what you were reading with the FAQ, I think I think our response and our position now is uh, colored by two things. One is the technology where we haven't completely caught up on making everything tablet friendly here from a media perspective, because that is uh, actually an ongoing project here and we're, we're just not completed. Mm-hmm. So te- from a technical platform point of view, we, we do want to enable any media that can be tablet or mobile friendly. Got it. Got it. Did we lose you, Chris? Did we lose? I thought. I think we lost you there for a sec, Chris. Okay, sorry. I had another phone call that was uh, oh. interrupting me. <laughs> I, I, I declined it. Um, so uh, the other thing, though, is we wanted to set the stage with our FAQ to to try to suggest that we're being very realistic and pragmatic with mobile, and that we don't yeah. want to look like we're trying to deliver everything. Because practically, for example, if you're trying to write a paper. Um, uh, like an essay, I, I think we could all agree that we would never attempt to do that on a phone. Um, you know, it's it's no. easy to write a sentence, maybe uh, even a paragraph, but by the time you're writing a couple sentences on a phone, you know, our fingers are wearing out. We're we're not interested in doing that much work. A tablet, maybe you could, um, but I just think the way the file management and stuff on a tablet works right now, it, it might be a little. Um, just not the best user experience. So we're not even trying to to be t- too public about saying that we're going to aim a full course experience from online discussion to full assignment writing, just because we don't really want to try to do more than we think the platforms can support. But that said, you know, we're I think with tablet, you can go pretty far. And we're really, we are trying to explore that a lot more deeply. We we are hoping for um, more integration with ebook formats because um, it makes a lot of sense. It makes sense that if you can deep link from a course right into a reading and an ebook, that we could really facilitate what someone could do quickly on an iPad as they're you know sitting on a bus in their commute. Um, that's really what we're trying to do: is support with mobile, um, you know, just greater uh, student engagement at times that they find moments to even do small amounts of work. Um, but if that does extend to doing more lengthy assignments or lengthy engagements in a tablet where, you know, you're sitting at home, you prefer to use a tablet instead of a laptop, you know, that all makes sense to us, too. You mentioned iOS and, and Android. Um, as Windows gets to the next version and it's a more converged uh, operating system from a mobile to a desktop perspective, do you see that uh, Windows 8 particularly um, 
kind of changing the game a little bit and maybe making a convertible device something a little more um, applicable to the student? Yeah, that's sort of that's sort of um, change that could be coming up um, could have a big impact on on what learners expect here, um, or not just you know students, but but faculty and staff as well for that matter. Because you know Microsoft is is well established, um, and and you know uh, to touch on one segment of our student population, we do have a lot of corporate people getting MBA degrees, for example. And so if, if people in a corporate setting are used to Microsoft as an environment, um, that colors what we should be doing as well. So um, whether, you know, to what extent we might be able to go fully native in those kinds of offerings, that's something we, we aren't really prepared to do yet. I mean, we, we could certainly adapt and staff up accordingly to hit Windows Mobile in a in a really big way if if the demand is there and and we would be totally interested in that but um, but we're kind of taking a wait and see approach although we're definitely interested in that we're equally interested in something new um, like what came out this week it's not out yet but the big announcement with uh, the Kindle Fire I mean I personally think that Amazon is in a fabulous position with um, how they're able to control hardware and software on the on that device and obviously with their dominant content position um, I think that Kindle Fire could be um, a fairly big tablet player um, obviously their price point is very competitive so um, you know we're already working on Android but we haven't put our app for example in Amazon's uh, App Store uh, but that platform could persuade us to do that and really look at how Amazon could deliver a, a more comprehensive, unified experience uh, through that device. Do you think that the Kindle Fire will uh, also help you know, textbooks kind of make the jump from the print to online world? I think so. I mean, we, we have uh, staff here that, that who are actually focused completely on our course material delivery and ebooks being part of that. And, um, you know, Amazon's a major player. So I think there's already quite a bit of ebook integration in textbooks. Um, I know I, I can't cite a particular percentage here that we deliver, uh, you know, at Capella itself, but we're aware of what competition does and just broadly what's happening with books. And it's undeniable that ebooks make a lot of sense, especially all the more so when you consider that carrying a tablet around is a lot easier than carrying a bunch of textbooks around. I mean, I have a, a daughter in high school who was already complaining about her backpack coming apart with all her <laughs> textbooks that she carries back and forth to school. And that problem could go away over time if, if more and more students at high school and college levels are just carrying tablets around. Uh, so I think that's a, a very appealing option, um, both from a delivery and just a you know practical standpoint. You know, I, so I, 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 the, my question here is going to be about, about um, the online learning experience. And, and my daughter last term at the, at the U um, had one class that she had to be on, on campus for. And, and it was at, I don't know, 8, 8.45 or something. And all I remember is her getting up and driving all the way down there to sit in this huge lecture and then driving back. And I remember asking her, why, why can't that be delivered online and she goes oh well you know it, it um you know we have to we, we you know we get uh, credit for participating in the class and she says you know it really does change the experience by actually being there which was odd coming from her because she's such a, a techno weenie 
Um, and, <laughs> and, and she she really is. I mean, she really you know is is maximizes technology for her as a tool. But um, so I'm wondering with respect to Capella. I mean, that's that's your core. That's core to the value proposition of Capella. And and what what is in terms of delivery of online learning? What is the mobile? How is that impacting um, mobile learning? And you kind of touched on it, Chris, when you said that people can then do little bits and pieces whenever they have time, um, and that that's clearly one compelling aspect. But is there something that uh, that Capella is doing differently that is more immersive? Or is better for people to participate? Or is, you know, is there some secret sauce that we're just not seeing? Maybe just by not taking courses. Ah, secret sauce. Well, I would say that um, we're not. I'm not aware of Capella uh, doing anything dramatically different that would, um, let's say you know, take our online experience and make it practically, you know, equivalent to the value of sitting in a classroom with people where you can, you know, interact obviously in, in much more of a, uh, of a wider, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out the, the way to uh, characterize it right. You know, I mean, obviously, if you're in a classroom physically, you have uh, the ability to write on a board, on a whiteboard in front, and there's text there. You can project image. Um, you can interact one-on-one -on -one verbally. Uh, so there's audio. There's there's all of these stimuli who are that are uh, engaging you in a variety of ways. If if a if a you know in-person class or discussion is happening in the right ways. Now, are we trying to replicate all of that currently at Capella? In most of the in most course settings, no, we're not. Um, and I think mostly the reason. Um, is partly due to technology. Um, granted, we could we could push people into certain platforms and require them to, let's say, all have certain devices or yeah. or platforms that that would enable that rich experience. Um, and I think for a variety of reasons, we're not really requiring that level of engagement yet. So you know, I'm just suggesting, for example, that if we all had iPhones with FaceTime, um that would really change the experience and, and, uh, and add to it in a, in a fabulous way, perhaps. Um, would our students use that? I'm not exactly sure. We're not quite there in, in exploring that sort of full audio and video chat uh, yeah. experience. But that's an idea that I've proposed, for example, in that um, it, tablets already support it on the iPad, too. Um, it seems like an awesome option that if, especially if they opened up the API and we could use that Within our own custom app, that's an example where we could um, add some secret sauce, so to speak, and really, really beef up what an online education experience would be. But right now, it is mostly text-based. Um, it's, it's it's mostly um, the online discussion paradigm that that even regular um, bricks and mortar universities embrace, just not to the extent that we do it. So I don't know if that fully answers your question. It, it, yeah, it does because because really really. Uh kind of what i'm i'm seeing on the on your uh, on the capella website and the things that you're talking about is is really what um i think a lot of us are viewing mobile devices as being is that they are not a replacement for a laptop or a desktop they're an augmentation 
And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that iGUIDE, your personalized portal to Capella eLearning, uh, has more robust functionality that maybe you can't access 100% of it from the mobile device, but the things that you need to access are are appropriate and and are things that you'd you'd want to use a mobile device or mobile app for. Is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah, that's that's extremely accurate to how our approach is. I mean, it is truly augmentative right now. Um, but I will say, and this is really why my role exists here, is that iteratively over time, I mean, we have a big backlog of ideas that we're trying to explore from really kind of an R&D perspective to see, okay, well, is this something that might work on a mobile device and how and why? And, and simultaneously, we're, we're engaged with our students to see, you know, what are they looking for? What kind of feedback are they giving us on our apps so that we know what we might add in? Because we have a fairly lean mobile team. Um, and so we can only do so much at a time. And, and we're trying to, you know, really be as systematic and thoughtful as we can about, okay, now going into 2012, what what sorts of things might be reasonable for us to do? And, and again, it's all based on the basic premise that we're not going to try to overpromise and overdo things that mobile just can't support well. But but we have a kind of a phased approach where you know we're going to bite off things that we know we can deliver well early and quickly, mm-hmm. and yet we're going to investigate ideas that might take more time to develop or might take more time to mature on mobile, and then. When the time is right, we're going to really hit that running as well. And so we're we're exploring things that might take a year or more to deliver. We're also exploring things that that might be coming out next spring. Hey, hey, Chris, I got I I was going to ask you about the team. Uh, you mentioned uh, that it's a fairly lean team. Are you trying to do your own development in house? Yeah, right now we are doing um, all of our development in house. Uh, so we have a blend of full time employees who are either focused on mobile um, 100% or or are devoting part of their time toward mobile and part of their time toward other projects. Um, We did have some outside uh, help from a couple different sources when um, we were getting started. Although when I say we, um, I'm, that's a little inaccurate because that was before I was here. So Capella Mobile as a project started uh, over a year ago, and I think part of their strategy of getting started more quickly was to, to um, you know, leverage expertise that was external to the company at the time. But, but now we feel like it's better for us um, to both build our own knowledge base internally and to do as much as we can internally. That's not saying that we're never going to use um, an outside. Uh, firm or, or agency or, or other kind of vendor. Um, I mean, we, we actually do use a lot of third product, third party products for various platforms that do feed into mobile. But, um, but strictly speaking, we're currently trying to do all of our mobile um, in-house with the exception of maybe a package or two of, of features that we might just not have time to do. And, you know, is that something that we might try to outsource? But, but currently we're all in-house. Yeah. Well, good. Well, uh, we could go on. This is a fascinating subject. But before we uh, uh, go, I've got to bring up Mini WebCon, the great conference that you organized for so many years. <laughs> How many years did you do that? What about five years, even? Or uh, well, I was um, I was more or less directing the the effort for the first four years. Um, mm-hmm. There was we've always had a very strong committee. 
though that who really takes the credit for directing it uh, as mm-hmm. a as an ensemble, and that committee is still in full force and getting ready for our big fifth anniversary uh, conference next spring. So um, I still try to be involved as much as I as I reasonably can, but um, clearly because I've I'm not on campus at the U of M anymore, and my my mind is just not uh, as fully on that conference as it was um, mm-hmm. in my former job. I'm I'm not playing the same level of role right now, but but we've got some people who have been involved for that in, entire duration who are still uh, helping to lead it, and I know that we're getting uh, some keynote and topic ideas uh, lined up and we're even thinking about maybe tweaking the format a little bit next year. Um, Not so much changing what we do, but maybe additively um, thinking about adding some other kinds of session formats. Hmm. So, so it's still a very lively conference and we're looking forward to next year. Um, We've had, I don't know if I would say competition, but we had an event apart here for two years and we noticed that event apart isn't returning to Minneapolis next year. So that, perhaps provides us with an even bigger opportunity to be, you know, kind of the, the main web conference in town next year. You perhaps. Bet. Yeah. And it'll be uh, what April. Is that the normal month or it's April. And yeah. I, I was going to verify the exact date with you, but I, I think wow. it's the 16th. It's, it's a Monday. Okay. And we'll, I think it's the second Monday in April. I, I, I'm sure we'll be hearing about it and we'll make sure we post it and, and talk sure. about it well in advance. So it'd be great. Yeah. Well, Thanks for yeah. Uh, thanks, Chris. Being on and uh, Steve, I'll let you take the yeah. Mic well, here. yeah. Appreciate you being on and uh, for those that uh, are going to the MEMA summit, make sure that you go to Chris's um, Lutheran. Uh, his yeah, Lutheran learning session. from Luther about the <laughs> second as, mobile as a, revolution. Yeah, as a yeah. Saint Olaf grad, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been trying. Well, I, I've been trying to nail my iPhone up to the side of a church, but it's not working. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'll I'll try not to make it too Lutheran uh, colored, but, but yeah, there's an interesting story there that uh, that hopefully will uh, will uh, engage people. I was going to ask you to, to to reveal that, but then that would sort of take the thunder away from your. Oh yeah, your I don't want to preview it. Don't want to preview it too much, but hopefully people can read a little bit between the lines about uh, you know Luther did some pretty interesting things with uh, getting into getting into print. And so I think there's a techno- technology story there. And that's that's about as much of a preview as I'll give you right now. All right. We'll be there to hear it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Sure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. What a great guy. Smart guy, too. Oh, yeah. He, we could go on and on with him. Oh, I know. No kidding. No kidding. Um, so he, he was talking about, uh, and I'm sure anybody that is in a position like he is that has to deliver to whatever students are going to have or, or directionally what they're going to have. Clearly, um, you know, the whole Amazon Fire thing and iPad and various Android tablets, um, you know, he, like a lot of people or publishers, have to have to look at, you know, what's the, the biggest bang for our buck in terms of development and what we're going to release. Yep. Yep. He's it, right it, in the middle of it. <laughs> you know, as a, as a parent of two kids in college now, it still just uh, astounds me how far behind the textbook market is though. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, you can, you can buy some stuff, particularly on Kindle. Um, but it's either the same amount, the same money as a book or uh, maybe it's slightly less, but it's not very much different in cost. S- and, and different than the book, you can't like trade it in at the end. Right. You know? Yeah. 
So it still is, you know, it's, it's way cheaper for them to not print books. And so I would think that they would want to convert, but it, you know, it, their whole business is making money off these books. Yeah. 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 You know, it's a huge entrenched lobby, you know? Well, let me, let me tell you though, that, that this goes back to my time with uh, pioneer new media and I was doing a, um, uh, uh, an authoring systems report for a company in Iowa that did uh, the operating system for Philips Compact Disc Interactive. Okay, so uh, just to tell you, this is like in 93. And at that point, publishers were wrestling with the, the, the downtrending of the, the publishing market and the fact that students were sharing textbooks. This is back in 93. So it's a damn near, you know, it's 18 years ago. Uh, and that there there was such a huge used textbook market, so I'm sure that these guys, you know, that all these publishers are freaked out about the fact that all right, even though Amazon would maybe tell us that everything's protected and secure, and and Apple would tell us that, and you know everybody would tell us that this was happening, as soon as we make it available digitally, somebody's going to figure out how to get the 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 app out of there or how to how to remove the, the content and, and, and share it. Um, and, and that's, I'm sure what, why the obstacles and barriers are there. Yeah, there's that, but I think it's, you know, that there's just so much money on the table right now with yeah. textbooks that yeah. wasn't there when Amazon disintermediated the regular book market. I mean, it was much tighter. So I think it's going to take longer and it's, it's unfortunate because with a, something like an iPad or Kindle Fire, you can do much richer uh, textbooks. They could have videos embedded into them, so you could have you know your lectures. Oh, absolutely! The best lecturer from whatever best university in the world can like have that lecture there in the book. Uh, that would be phenomenal. Well, I w- I was um, uh, I had downloaded Al Gore's new book, um, which is on the iPad only, mainly because I was more interested in the technology that was used. Uh, and Facebook bought Presley, the, or I think it was Presley, the company that did uh, the, created the book. But to your point, uh, you know, you'd touch a picture and up would come a big photo and then Al Gore's voice describing what it was. Or you'd touch a picture with a, with a video icon on it and it would play the video. And then there were animations and graphs growing and, and interactive uh, factoids and data sheets and all kinds. I mean, it was really powerful. And I thought, my God, imagine, imagine what that would have been like when I took chemistry or physics, you know, to actually have a textbook that was alive, um, how, how compelling that would be. And, and so, yeah, to your point, it, it's, you know, it'd be a 10x better experience but I'm sure they're also looking at the fact that oh, if we build this, how do we do it so so it can be cross-platform? Because who the buzz knows who's really ultimately going to win uh, and win for the long term? Well, I think that, that Amazon certainly will give Apple a run for their money, although they're not competing with them head-on with the first version of the Fire. Yeah. But, but clearly, they're going to have a 10-inch version. They will have probably a, a higher-end um, option too. Um, but their pricing strategy is so different selling the Kindle Fire as a service that's connected to Amazon.com and, and probably, you know, that pe- most people will, will pay the seven, or $79 a year subsidy for Prime just to get all the streaming videos and, oh, yeah. and music and stuff on the tablet. Um, I mean, I know I will. And now that I have 
Prime, will I buy more stuff on Amazon, physical Amazon? Absolutely, because I, you know, it's three dollars shipping, you know, two day shipping or whatever it is. So, so it's such a brilliant strategy. And then you've got Apple, which is maximized the other way, which is you know selling a premium product at a premium price um, and making money, a lot of money on the product itself, and then you know they do make some money on content, but they they see content more as a an enticement to buy into the ecosystem as opposed to the way Amazon sees it, where they don't, they don't see the device as the opportunity to make money. They, they see the content as the opportunity to make money. Well, so I will tell you that one of the, one of the, the most compelling aspects of the fire is free WhisperSync and they've extended WhisperSync to video. Mm-hmm. And so you can stream stuff over WhisperSync and, and, and so on. And for those that don't know, that's the 3G wireless network um, free capability to, to uh, wirelessly use the device. Um, and so... Well, the, the, the Fire doesn't have 3G, though. The, the Kindle does. So they, they introduced the new Kindle with 3G that actually does have that. Yeah, but it says that, um, that the Fire uses Amazon's WhisperSync Right, just just like your i iPad uses just through Wi Fi. Yeah, no, it's just like your iPad uh, Kindle app uses WhisperSync. All WhisperSync is is the ability to push stuff from your Amazon account to your device. So if you buy something on your Amazon account, you can actually push it right there to your to your iPad uh, Kindle app, and it will auto magically show up next time you open the Kindle app. Um, And it will also sync your position. So if you read it on your iPhone and then you read it you know, you open it up on your, on your iPad, it will, it will know where you are in the book. Got it. So this is a Wi-Fi only device. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, The first, the first version is only Wi-Fi. They do make the 3G and Wi-Fi Kindle. Um, and and what was interesting about this is, you know, obviously the fire is getting the most coverage, but uh, you know, Amazon was woefully behind Barnes and Noble and even Kobo with their e-ink, uh, Kindle before, but they were still selling them you know, hand over fist because they've got such a great store and infrastructure built. Well, they leapfrog past both of those guys just significantly with the, uh, the Kindle touch. And then they, they have the, uh, the original Kindle, the classic version that they've reduced price to $79. Right. So, I mean, so from a, from a uh, selection perspective, they have the best selection and now they've got the best price of any e-reader out there. So there's there's no reason to buy any any other e-reader besides a Kindle. Yeah, yeah. But amazing. They yep. have so many models now. I can't keep them all straight. Yeah, they'll discontinue probably the older version with a keyboard on it at some point. But yeah, they they do have a lot at this point. Yeah. And they've been dropping price uh, so much that did you see that post about somebody saying when will they be free? Oh, I'm sure they're yeah. going to be free. <laughs> After this holiday season, I'll bet you they'll have a promotion that you you join Amazon Prime, pay your eighty bucks, and you get a free Kindle. Yeah, because yeah. the, the low end Kindle is seventy nine dollars too. So it's only yeah. a matter of time before that those two things become bundled. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Wow, wow, wow. Well, let's uh, briefly talk about upcoming events, and then we probably should wrap. We uh, chatted with Chris a little longer than we thought we might, but um, so. Yeah, Tech Cocktail Minneapolis. I see you put that in the show notes. Yeah, Graham. yeah. I'm going to go a, to that. 
That's a big deal. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've been hoping and wishing and trying to get those guys to town myself uh, for at least a couple of years. And our friend Kim Garretson apparently finally prodded him enough that that they scheduled one, and it happened pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, it seems like the announcement just went out maybe a little over a week ago. Uh, but we've got the link in the show notes, and it's Tuesday night at Coco at the Grain Exchange. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, Kim responded. Kim Garrison responded to my tweet and said, "I have some English books for your Thai school that you're you're trying to gather some books." And I just want to also do a shout out to Learner Publishing, who sent me an email this morning saying that um, that we're sure we can find some books for them. Uh, so let me know how you want to do it. And I've got a local author that is interested and I've got a couple of people. I didn't even know about this particular site, by the way, but there's something called free cycle, which huh. is, which is a, um, uh, a place that you can put only, it's like, it's like a Craigslist for free stuff. Yeah. And, and I, and I just wasn't aware of it mainly because, you know, I don't go trolling for free stuff, but, um, you can put all kinds of things and here a woman, um, who's a volunteer for, for the Women's Prison Book Project, has about 75 books that um, she took a picture of and sent me a picture. It's like, oh, my God, of, of some classics, you know, Mark Twain, Hound of the Baskervilles, and, you know, yada, yada. And so I've got all these people who are responding, and it's just, it's fabulous. Great. So, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to give an update on that. Um but then many demos coming up Thursday at Schultz Hall at the U of St. Thomas. Yeah, yeah. sold out. Sold so, out. Sold out. Wow. Yeah, I, I, and I think that means it's sold out because uh, I don't think they, they have any more space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah right, they used right. to uh, they used to do the tickets in batches, but I'm not sure they did that this time, did they? No, they just put them out a couple of days ago and uh, yeah, that was it. So if you don't, huh. if you don't, uh, subscribe to the newsletter or their email uh, newsletter thing you better because that's the only way to really get it is to jump on those yep wow and have they announced who the list of those will be demoing yet or probably not not yet that no, I've, I've seen nope yeah it'll be a good one and what else we got on the list well uh, Mima Summit and we're all oh, going to be yeah. down at that adventure on the 11th and 12th I don't know if that's sold out or not, but um, uh, that absolutely is the premier uh, interactive marketing event in, in this in this state. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I would argue that in multiple states. Oh, yeah. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it may even be darn near bigger than the one they do in Chicago uh, that, yeah, the, that the Interactive Marketing Association does down there. Doesn't it draw close to 1,000 people? I mean, wasn't that kind of what it was last year? I thought it was more than that, actually. Yeah, it might have been more than that. The, I know they have uh, that many members of MEMA is, is north of 1,000, yeah. like 1,200 or something. Yep. And, of course, other people come besides just the members of MEMA. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Product Camp Minnesota. Um, and what's really, what's really interesting to me about this, and I don't know how much they're going to touch on this cause I haven't really dug into it too deeply, but I don't know if you guys are, are really aware of the whole open hardware initiative. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, there, there, there seems to be a lot more groundswell toward open hardware initiatives. And for those that don't know about open hardware, I'll put some links in the show notes, but, but essentially what it is, is it's, 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 it's building, um, 
essentially platform-like um, hardware that you can then take and turn into something else. So one example is there's an open source or an open hardware um, 3D printer project, and and you got all these people who are building these these uh, 3D printers out of uh, or off of this platform and and creating new new uh, offerings around it. And of course, anything you build into it, you got to put back in the project and so forth. But um, I just think that's a really fascinating direction. But Product Camp is all about about you know trading ideas and and um, you know looking at new methods and new ways of doing things and so on. And what's this uh, front end masters workshop series? This is something that Mark Grabansky, who's one of the uh, based here locally, is one of the best known jQuery front end developers in in the country oh. and uh, has. Uh, has, has formed an organization he calls MJG International, and it's an expert network, and he's also putting on conferences. And he did one out at Google earlier this year at the Googleplex, which was a huge success and drew uh, developers from all over North America and probably some foreign countries as well. And he decided, uh, entrepreneur that he is, he calls himself a... Uh, what does he, a code printer, I think is the term. He decided, I'm going to start a conference business. And, you know, hats off to him. And he's attracting, uh, he's got six sessions. There's one fee. Six days. Six, six weekly sessions. It works out to be about three, 350 bucks a session. Uh, but you sign up for the whole thing, I believe, is the only way they're doing it. But he's bringing some of the... Uh, top experts in the country on front-end development. Uh, to wow. Town. And, um, well, and, for anybody that, and, 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 you know, when you first started to talk about this before I went to the site, it was like, okay, wow, jQuery, a jQuery conference. But, but uh, then you look at it, it says, learn front-end development in HTML5, JavaScript, and jQuery. Now, why, why does that matter? For anyone that's listening to this that's not a developer, uh, and doesn't really understand kind of what's going on. Um, the, the bottom line is HTML5, you can do just about everything you can do in Flash, but the, the tools aren't there to obviously build um, unless you're going to code it. So today we're in a, we're in a world where, you know, if you want to um, do what the Financial Times did, which is do an end run around Apple's publishing store where they want to have publishers uh, um, allow people to subscribe in app and then, Apple gets 30% of that. Um, the Financial Times is doing an end run around Apple, and they've developed a really awesome HTML5-based uh, uh, publication delivery. Uh, so if you've got an iPad and you want the Financial Times, you can just buy directly from them, and they keep all the money. And they've got all the analytics around, all the visitors, and all that good stuff. Um, and so the bottom line is, is that if you're developing for um, iOS, Android, and even WebOS, knowing how to do front-end development for HTML5 and use JavaScript and jQuery, now you're going to be able to, to really be incredibly marketable. Yep, yep. 
Exactly. And he's going to have it all in in town here November 4th through whatever it is, December 16th or something. Yeah. It's every, every Friday except Thanksgiving week. Okay. And so he's only really targeting it to Minnesota folks because obviously people from out of town aren't going to fly in here six times, you know. Yeah. So he's mainly, and, and I think the number of seats, it's a hands-on workshop. And I think it's only like thirty some seats in a in a fancy new uh, uh, you know uh, education room that 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 he's constructed at his headquarters out in Burnsville. Or it's actually in Savage, okay. MJG International. I'll put the link uh, in the show notes to his company as well. Okay. And and by the way, he did an awesome mobile HTML5 site. I'll try to find that link too. Oh yeah, um, please do for mjg his company and uh so i thought it would be of interest to our developer friends in town for sure yep excellent yeah all right well i think we should wrap and gentlemen thank you so much and everyone for listening to the minivate gang podcast have a good week you too yeah awesome weekend take care see ya
chance. 